Hello and welcome to episode 46 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, August 6th, 2020. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? It's going really well. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I wanted to say a special, I guess, thank you to our listeners, Mauda Girl, Liz Looney, and Maiden 1960, who all stopped in to the RAV group within the past month and said hello in our hello thread. So hello to you guys as well. Thank you. That's Um, awesome. Yeah, so feel free to jump in there and chat. We have a bingo thread. Um, Again, if you are able, Ravelry has still not fixed all their issues. There have been various emails and postings, but still apparently not a safe place for everyone. So other than that, yes. And the intense fog and wind we've been having. I don't know what the weather. I I think people were always, we're just not here as much. So everyone's like, wow, it's really foggy this year. (laughs) It's just, we're here. Yeah. We were away this stretch last summer, and I got our our PG and A our PG and E bill, you know <laughs> our our like energy bill, mm-hmm. and they were scolding me like last year you were much more energy efficient in July and August, and I was thinking to myself, yeah, because we weren't here. <laughs> exactly, you know, and you know when you have an extra family family member hanging around who takes another shower and, you know, more cooking and <laughs> all the things. Yeah. Yeah. All the things. So many differences, but other than that, pretty good. Oh, I did go to Filoli with some friends. Down in Woodside. Yeah. Is that- oh, beautiful. It's lovely. So it's a historic house and gardens that was privately owned and now is, it's not public. It's still private, but anybody can go and visit for a small fee. So the gardens are open, the house isn't. It's about a half an hour south of the city. And so there is sunshine <laughs> when you go there as opposed to the city. So a couple of friends and I went down there for a morning visit, wandered the gardens. It's amazing. And none of us had been there before, which is crazy because it's right there. Um, and I think my kids have been there on field trips, but I wasn't able to make those. So yeah, so they have like a pool garden, they have a fountain garden, there's orchards, there's like flower gardens and garden, you know, vegetable gardens, all sorts of different areas and all beautifully landscaped. And it was just so nice to get out and see green and sunshine. And they had a cafe where you could get lunch and it was lovely. That's nice. I'm glad you had a little escape. Yeah, it was nice. And um, I bought some honey from their beehives and some uh, hard apple cider from their apple orchards. Only the second year they've been doing that, so that was kind of exciting. Yeah. How have they been open? Not to the not for free, but have they been open for a long time? Could you tell or no? Um, you or mean, is this a recent? Well, because I had never really heard of it until the last couple years either. You know, that is an interesting question. I don't know how long they have been open for mm-hmm. the public. Fun. Yeah, it was delightful. We had a a micro field trip, which is just driving my father-in-law around because it's a great way to sort of entertain him and get out of the house. And we were down in um, Half Moon Bay and they have a yarn shop on their main street. And I couldn't go in because I was 
grandpa sitting, I guess. But I thought of you, what a beautifully, beautiful looking curated shop right there on Main Street. Do you know that one? I don't think I've been to that one. I don't get down there as much. When we can, we should go. It is a charming little town and there's about 15 great little cafes. You can sit outside, bakeries, and there's like an outdoor garden shop and Hmm. all of these really cute shops. And I suspect these towns are gonna need a little love Yes. All right. Well, that sounds delightful. We will continue the delight (laughs) with our normal segments on the needles, on the easel, on the table, on the nightstand, and bingo. And in On the Table, we'll be doing our review of Vegetable Kingdom by Bryant Terry. And I know of at least one person that was waiting for it. So that's exciting. Hopefully the rest of you are too. On the needles, two finished projects. It's pretty good. Pretty good uh, fortnight. So I finished the Criterion Cal from Casapinka. I think I was mostly done last time. This is the yarn. It was a collaboration between her and Lady Dye Yarns. It's based on the Sherlock series with Benedict Cumberbatch. So this kit was called A Study in Pink and Gray. So the yarn is two skeins, two mini skeins of pink different shades of pink, and then one of gray. And the cowl is fairly simple patterns, but it changes every eight to 12 rows. It's a different texture. So it's all these different stripes of colors and texture, and there's some slip stitches, and it was awesome. It was so much fun. It turned out great. I blocked it. It looks even better because blocking is magic. <laughs> so it was it was good. And it's actually been you know cold enough I could probably wear it. <laughs> If I'm walking around. Yeah, for sure. So I really enjoyed that. That was super fun. And I am tomorrow, Casapinka has a mystery knit along starting, which I tried to resist and was unable to do so. So I've signed up for that. It's called The Sharon Show, and her cat is running it. This was partially why I couldn't resist, because the emails and the, the Instagram posts were just hilarious. Um, and it's going to be a giant shawl. It takes about four skeins of fingering yarn, all different colors. And I looked at her other shawl patterns, and they're all super fun. And I hadn't made any of them before. I think this the Criterion Cowl was the first one I've done, but I really liked it. And I don't have any huge projects coming up, so I thought I would dive in. I was able to resist ordering some of the beautiful kits that are out there and do some stash diving. So I found um, a skein of pale gray yarn, two skeins of blue, like one's a light blue, one's a dark blue, and then a magenta skein, all different dyers. So I am pretty happy with my yarn combination. And one of the blue skeins I just found recently, I had found a different one that I didn't love as much, and I found this one, and it's perfect. Super excited. So that's supposed to start tomorrow. It runs for six weeks. We shall see. I don't really need a giant shawl, blanket thing, but I but do. I think I'll take a look at her patterns and see. I mean, hopefully we'll have stitches. Because remember, my goal. I know. To... I I was thinking about that the other day. Yeah, no, she has some really cool ones that I was I was pretty interested in just in general. So, so this one could be fun. So cool. I'm excited to get started on that and her supposed to be pretty low-key 
having fun. There's one that's like an absolute beginner level and then one that's advanced beginner. But she said they're all going to be, you can do it while watching TV kind of knitting, which is kind of what I need right now. I like her, the olive pink one. I thought it had a pom-pom on the corner of it, but she's just holding the yarn. And it Mm. looks like a pom-pom, but that makes me think I could put a pom-pom on it. Sure. Tassel, pom-pom, whatever works. Yeah, great. You are the boss of your knitting. I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) My knitting is very bossy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's true. That sweater certainly is. Finished object is actually a sweater. It's a baby sweater. So I finished that. Um, I did the sunny side pattern by Tannis. I'm going to pronounce it Lavalle because I took French in high school. It could be La Valley. I'm not quite sure. I apologize. That took a skein of three Irish girls Springvale sock in Freya, which is a kind of a bright purple magenta semi-solid. Lovely color. So niece in the family had a little girl. I think this will be a nice sweater. I love this pattern. I've always, it comes in two versions. There's one that's more lacy and tends toward the feminine and one that's cables and meant for a more masculine child. Um, and I've always, I've made that one a couple of times. So this is the first time I've done the lace one. And it's the same, mostly the same, just the, the panels are either lace or cable. Um, and she also gives you hem options so you can do a garter stitch hem or a Pico bind off, which gives you a little lacy frill at the bottom. So I did that. I'm super excited. And then I got to go online button shopping and grow grain ribbon shopping for the, for the button band. So I went in to a button shop that I liked and searched purple. And they had little one, their white buttons with purple giraffes. So I'm super excited about that. Ordered those. Those came. They're so cute. It's going to look oh my so goodness. adorable. And then I went looking for purple ribbon and I found... Actually, I went looking for giraffe ribbon, purple giraffe ribbon. Anyway, the giraffe kind of spots, but in purple and white. So I think it's going to be super cute. And that'll be the ribbon that goes along the back of the button band to add some stability um, and give the button something to hold on to so it doesn't stretch all out and fall apart. This makes me think that we should put some really great buttons in the bingo prize box. Oh, that could be fun. I think I'm going to make a note of that because I've been building things for the bingo prize box. Oh, good. I have a few things as well. Oh, good. Hmm. We haven't been talking about that as much. We keep, I don't, and I don't think we've mentioned that in a while, but there are prizes for the bingo. (laughs) It's not just post things, which you should do. Right. I mean, doing bingo is its own reward, frankly, but. um, Certainly. Yeah. I feel, Everyone really, else, there could I feel be very accomplished when I cross off a square. Like, yeah, I achieved something today. And then I have an almost finished project as well. I have been working on my downpour socks. That is a pattern by Susie White, who is Prairie Girl Susie. She had a podcast, and I don't think they've done an episode in a while. But anyway, it was delightful while it was happening. And she's a designer as well. So anyway, so these are their socks. They have a cool panel of that are supposed to look like raindrops and the yarn I used is lollipop yarn quintessential ripes and the colorway is what's new pussycat Um, lollipop yarn does self-striping for the most part that's what she's known for so this is 
big stripes of gray and in between are a white and pink speckle. So it's super cute. Oh, and it came with a mini skein of the white and pink speckle. So you could use that for heels and toes. And I think I did the cuffs in that as well. So I got this yarn, I was looking at it in August, 2016. And I knew I had been working on these socks for a while, but I started them in September of 2017. So I think, I think it's time for me to have finished these, which I almost have now. And I'm not quite sure what my problem with these was. You, I, you needed a bingo sheet. Apparently. <laughs> no, but I've crossed that. I've crossed the finish something square off. So I don't know oh, that it's okay. going to get me anything. I think I thought the pattern was going to be more intuitive than it was for some reason. And it's not a complicated pattern. It's just not, it wasn't sticking in my brain for some reason. I had to pull it out and pull the chart out and move the thing. And I just kept getting confused. So it wasn't uh, as much of a take along project as I had hoped, but I love the yarn. It's gorgeous and it's a nice pattern. So I had pulled it out because I'd been thinking about it and I needed some TV knitting because the Pico bind off wasn't gonna work for me while doing TV. So I pulled them out and started and I was like, this is going pretty quickly. I should just, you know, keep working on these. So last night I finished the second sock, but I have to go back on both and put in the heels. So that shouldn't take me too much longer. That's awesome. Yeah. Which since it's been kind of foggy and damp, I will need for walking around my house. Mm -hmm. And then today, another mystery gnome along starts. So I'm kind of excited about that. Nice to gnome you from Sarah Shira. It's her summer gnome. So the first clue came out today and it lasts for usually a couple of weeks. Um, and then you have a few more days to post it. So I've picked out my yarn. I'm actually going to use my leftover Lady Dye yarns from the Criterion Cowl. So I had said you need about 20 grams of each, and I have, I think, 23. I'm a little short on the gray, which will be for the beard. I'm hoping that since it's for the beard, that I won't need the full 20 grams. And if not, I'm sure I have more gray floating around somewhere. And then for my fourth color, I pulled out a blue from... Uh, what was it from? Late, uh, from Three Irish Girls, Bayside. So it's, you know, it looks like a, a lovely blue bay of water. So I'm excited about that. And summer beards can be shorter if you're low on gray. <laughs> that is a good point. That is a very good point. So yeah, so I've got two mystery knit-alongs coming up. And I think I've done a little bit of work on my Batista shawl, but not too much. That It takes a good deal of brain power to work on that one. So I have to find time to work on that. Someday I will. Yeah. And then I've been, you know, posting things and competing in the Bay Area Fiber Festival, Fiber Fair, Fiber Fair, which is an online four-month knit-along supporting local designers and shops and dyers okay. and whatnot. So that is fun and continues along. And it's, it's fun to see what other people are are posting as well. And they have one challenge that is to frog a project to use, reuse the yarn. And that t-shirt sweater that I had knit a while ago, this gives me an excuse to frog it. I mean, Excellent. I was planning to do it anyway, but now I, right. I can, you know, complete a challenge. Now you, now you have external motivation. Exactly. Which is very important. I still need to figure out how to rewind the yarn or re-skein the yarn. Yeah. And that is everything that is on the needles.
Yeah. Good luck. Thanks. Keep us posted. Yes. Now that I've talked about it, I guess I actually have to do it. Darn it. <laughs> All right. What is on the easel? Oh, the easel is great these days. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Finally, right? So let's see what's going on. First, I have to share that my son built a bed. You know, I am so interested in this. We were chatting about this briefly before we were started, started recording and I am. Yeah. Yeah. So I come from a family of woodworkers and when I told them he was building a bed, they envisioned like milk crates and a futon, you know, kind of a thing. But this kid found himself, I pointed him towards that Anna White website, A-N-A hyphen white.com. And she does instructions for woodworking. I really appreciate how she does the instructions because it is really comprehensive. Well, first of all, she's got a million projects for woodworking, but the instructions include all the materials you need, all the tools you need, the exact cuts you need to make. It's, it's just really organized. And it, it made it possible for my 14-year-old to buy all of this wood, I mean, for real wood, you know, and then cut it down and use a biscuit joiner and a pocket jig and build a bed that looks like you would buy off of Pottery Barn, basically. Initially, he was thinking he was going to stain portions of it, and I've, I helped him realized that maybe painting his first woodworking project would be a little bit easier and it would be mean more affordable wood. So he has built this whole thing and it has like three storage drawers underneath, big tall headboard, big tall footboard. Now we're just waiting for that special mattress to arrive. And he's putting, today he's putting in the, it has like drawer slides underneath, which are kind of a pain to install. They're soft closed drawer slides and he's like, you put one in last night and it's near perfect and he's got to tweak it a little bit today. And I mean, it's what an incredible adventure he's had with this bed and I've steered clear of it. My husband has done most of the supervising because I have a tendency to, oh, let me help you with that and take over. So it's been better that I steer, steer my way out of the garage. So that's what my kid is building. And I think I will post a picture on the craft cook read repeat site because I don't really show their faces on the internet, but there's a great picture of him working on the bed and you can't really see him. So I think that's fun. It looked amazing. Thank you. I will pass that on to him. I think it is a huge achievement for the summer and he really learned a lot. So while he was doing that, I made my way to Japan, you know, virtually, I guess, and have been doing tons of research about Japan and just yesterday posted the first installment of Great Things About Japan and wrote all about the art supplies, some of the art supplies that are Japanese made that I really adore. And um, I have a funny story about it. So there's a lot of art supplies on this painting. It's 12 by 12. It includes a lot of different pencils and inks and pens and paints and 
pastels and brushes and oh there's two funny things I forgot to fill in a part and this pen right here was not is not what's <laughs> when I originally painted it I painted the wrong pen I painted a, a pen that was on my desk for a class that I'm taking I just was in like go mode and painted it and then yesterday when I was doing the research I realized that it was not Japanese at all and so I had to decide how I was going to problem solve around or over that pen. And so my instinct was to just paint over it and let it dry and then do like a whole other. But when you start building up gouache layers, it has a tendency to crack. And I was nervous about that, even though this is just an illustration for me. It's not like it's going anywhere, I don't think. And so I took a different approach. And instead of just whiting the whole thing out or even covering it with like another piece of paper, I drew a, a different pen on top of the mistake pen, which was a little bit smaller. It was a big fat pen. It was such a, oh, kicking myself. I drew the new pen on top. And then just instead of having an extra layer, I just painted the pen on top of the old pen and then went around the margins. I can definitely see the error, but I also feel like it was a new approach for me to fixing a correction and it was something that was important enough. Sometimes I don't I don't fix an error if it's if it's not relevant, but I felt like this was an opportunity to get in a real Japanese pen that I adore and to take out one that deserves to be credited to a different country. So that's my big secret about the, the gigantic art supply illustration. And there were so many other things that I wanted to squeeze in there, but you know, real estate. Um, you could always do it a second. I could, it's, I'm tempted because there are a lot of other great things that I could add to it, but you there's the also, I'm the boss of my paintings and I'm really bossy. And there are so many other great things to paint from Japan. So many great things. So, and not to be scattered, but I'm also taking two classes right now that are so wonderful. One of them is through Creative Bug with Courtney Cerruti, who is a Bay Area artist whom I adore and her shop over in Oakland just closed. And so I was able to kind of see the shop before it closed long weekend store. But she has a book out that came out at the beginning of the year called make art where you are. And it's a guidebook and sketchbook combo, really sweet package. And it has some great prompts for just diving in you know, wherever you are. And so she has built a class on Creative Bug, like a 30-day 30, 30 or 31-day class um, that I'm really enjoying. And it's, it's a really accessible class for all different levels. And, and I just, I think that that's great. I'm also taking a class on Skillshare. And I recognize that these two companies are competitors, but I love them both. So I feel like it's, it's just, I can't get enough. And the class I'm taking is with Dylan M and she is doing a visual sketchbook class. It's 14 days and her prompts are so much fun. And I'm actually using 
a couple of her prompts to to sort of help guide the what comes next for Japan. And coincidentally, she one of her first day classes was draw your art supplies. And I was already knee deep in the Japanese art supply painting. So um, that was really fun. And then her class from yesterday is book related. And I have a stack of books about Japan that I want to do. So, so those two classes are fabulous. And then I also found this great zine. It's called gathering kokeshi zine which is all about these wooden craft dolls from japan and there's like a tremendous tradition of these wooden dolls and they were meant to be children's toys and i think if i remember right they're made originally they were made from like the leftover bits that were in a workshop from somebody who was turning wood for furniture they're they're really beautiful and they they all come from like specific areas in this tohoku region of japan i think i just love reading about this stuff and i actually have a tiny little set from the 1950s that i want to learn more about but it doesn't have i don't think that they're like a high-end set because they don't have like an artist markings on the back but still really worthwhile so i got that zine from Maitland, who is Kelly D's daughter. And Kelly D is a listener who is very active and does bingo and writes in all the time. And she's just so great. So I was really, really glad to get her daughter's zine. And I think it's well done and so informative. And that's been a great resource. And art, I feel like it's a piece of art. And it's helping me guide how to produce my gouache zine which I'm working on and I'm getting some good questions from people lately that's making me think what's what I need to put into the gouache zine and I think maybe I'll open it up for questions and it's just been a good dynamic process and and then even painting this thing with the gouache that I love this thing of art supplies it helped me think about how I use gouache and the step-by-step that I use and how people might like to hear about that. So I think that that is what's on the easel. It feels really good to be in the art room these days. And as I was painting the, the Japan stuff, they have a great history of fountain pens and fountain pen ink is really beautiful there reminded me about the San Francisco Pen Show, which generally runs at the end of August down in Redwood City, and it was canceled this year. Not surprising, but I had planned to try to go because it's such a cool show. But yeah, just like everything else, 2020. Yeah, (laughs) would not recommend. Would not, yeah. (laughs) All right, on the table, I didn't have too much exciting of note this week. I did have a Mexican coffee ice cream pie. Ooh. It wasn't a disaster, but it was not uh, all that it could be. It was pretty tasty. Um, I got to it, Smitten Kitchen did a version with like vanilla and strawberry, and she based it on this recipe from Homesick Texan. 
So it involved cream cheese, sweetened condensed milk, coffee, cinnamon. So it's that Mexican coffee flavor. And you make a chocolate graham cracker crust. Yum. So it was totally delicious. And then topped the whole business with whipped cream and chocolate shavings. And it was great, but we couldn't get the crust part out of the pan. And I couldn't figure out why. So it was very frustrating. So we just kind of scraped all the ice cream part of it off. Came back the next day and started chipping away at the crust. And it eventually all came out. But I couldn't figure out why it was so stuck. Even I mean, we let it defrost for a little bit. We thought maybe it was too cold. I don't think I sprayed my pan or put butter or anything in there, but there was so much butter in the crust itself that I didn't think that was an issue. Um, I'm flummoxed, but it was delicious. So maybe next time line it with wax paper or parchment or something? Yeah, I don't know. Mm -hmm. it was, that was fun. Oh, and I made the um, coffee bars again. <laughs> last night put them back in the eight by eight pan i still put do the chocolate chips melted on top with the nuts i baked the heck out of it so they are much less crumbly oh which was good because actually i asked my kids which they preferred the thick or the thin version and boy two i think went with the thick boy one refused to commit to either way he's like you should just switch off making it <laughs> every time do one thick one thin so I think I, I might like them a little bit thinner because yeah. they are really intense. And I think having a more, a better balance of the, the buttery goodness with the chocolate and the nuts. Yeah. Be good. I can see that. Okay. We have to make a batch of chocolate chip cookies today. And my older son, who is an American sign language student has to sign the instructions. He's going to be like the, tr the, he has to do this for a back to school thing. So we have a new cookie experience on our roster this afternoon. Yeah, we're like two weeks from back to school, I think. Some, some kids are going back next week. Which, bleh, I, I don't know. know. It's don't back know. to They're not going anywhere. It's oh, no. But it's something for them to do. So. Right. Right. Good. But yeah, unlike my other one who won't be starting for three weeks beyond that, that's going to be interesting. And then... Finally, I'm super excited because I got my delivery from Rancho Gordo Beans. You know, I'm a little bit behind the times with getting on the bean bandwagon, but and we've, I've seen a bunch of posts lately about some different kinds of beans. And then there's one in the Bryant Terry book that we'll talk about that he suggests using a certain type of bean. Those are both sold out. So I went, when I went on the website, but you could get on the mailing list and the wait, and the, um, the wait list for specific beans. So I'm on the mailing list and he sent out, the owner sent an email with this amazing writing about two new beans that he's got in. And one of them is um, mentioned in the book Tortilla Flat by John Steinbeck, which is one of my husband's favorite books. So I thought, well, I need to try those. And then there was another one that he just wrote lyrically about. It. I mean, if you can do good food writing, it's awesome. So I thought, well, I'll just get those two. And then I thought, well, I'll just try making my own chickpeas instead of using them from a can. And then I found out later, I was on Twitter, and he had posted that basically he did such a good job with this email that like the site broke and things sold out really fast. And there were a bunch of people replying to the tweet like, oh, I know, I missed out, I missed out. I, you know, I saw it an hour later and it was gone. So I was pretty excited <laughs> that I had done so well. I felt like I won the bean competition and... 
um, which, you know, I didn't realize I was in it, but <laughs> I love it. Was, so that was great. So now I have to actually figure out what I'm doing. So if anybody has ideas, and I can't remember the names, but I have a, I did take a picture of them and I'll be posting it. So look for that post. And if you have ideas about what to do with these beans, um, recipes featuring them, let me know. But I'm pretty excited. I mean, I've gotten an Instapot, so like cooking them can't right. be that complicated. And you're coming up on fall. It's like bean season. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. How about you? The kitchen's been pretty quiet outside of the Japanese stuff and the Bryant Terry stuff, but I did attempt a plum crisp. Remember I was going to make that plum compote and the mm -hmm. plums were macerating the last time we, re we yep. recorded? The family voted for a plum crisp and it was way too sour. I oh no. I do this every time I back off the sugar because I think it's going to be too sweet and these guys needed it. They were beautiful eating plums. I don't know why they turned out so sour in the dish. I but think they do for some reason. I feel like I've made a plum combo crisp with other things and it's it's sharp. Like opposite world. Weird. Yeah, everything um, else so to make up for it, I made an apple crisp this week and cut the sugar, and that was way too sweet. So <laughs> I can't win for trying. And I also have I mean, really good- they had crisp. That feels like a win. Yeah. The crisp part was what was too sweet. And then I had a maple salmon. You know I love maple syrup just yeah. so much. I did a maple glazed salmon, and it had mm. like a splash of soy sauce in it. Oh, nice. Really great flavor. I recommend cooking it on parchment because otherwise it, you know, the, it just uh, chars around the edges uh, yeah. where the maple runs off, not the fish, but that's a recipe I want to share with people. And the balance of my stuff is right from Vegetable Kingdom. All right, well, hop in, shall we? So Vegetable Kingdom by Bryant Terry, who is a local... James Beard award-winning chef, author, educator. He is renowned for his activism to create a healthy, just, and sustainable food system. He is in his fifth year as chef in residence at the Museum of the African Diaspora in San Francisco, where he creates public programming that celebrates the intersection of food, farming, health, activism, art, culture, and the African diaspora. And I saw him do an interview on Instagram or IGTV, whatever it is, with um, one of the chefs from milk street and it was a great interview and he seemed like a really nice guy so awesome. oh cool and this is I've, his fifth cookbook so right. not a new not his, not his yeah. first rodeo no not at all i picked these up from omnivore which is our only cookbook cook or i always mix this up cookbook bookstore in San Francisco, I, I just wanted to buy it locally and it, it took a little while to come in and she said they were flying off the shelves. So I was really glad to see that. I also purchased it along with a couple of Japanese cookbooks and I'm finding that that pairing is particularly wonderful. Um, but anyway, what, what have you been making? So many things. I really like this book. I great the photography is beautiful the combinations are great they're just they're a little bit different you know thing pairings that i wouldn't have thought of the directions are clear 
every recipe comes with a story behind the inspiration and just his thinking on food and they all have a song as well that go with them so there's a whole playlist of music which i think is kind of fun um, yeah that playlist is available on spotify like oh wow. preloaded i think it's seven hours long oh my gosh there are a I lot know. of recipes there are a lot of recipes there's a lot of great music in there very diverse eclectic mix excellent i haven't checked it out yet but i will add it now i know it's already preloaded on spotify so that makes it easier yeah you can definitely tell he's a chef <laughs> there are a lot of parts to many of these recipes you know there'll be a sauce that you need to make as well there's a you know there'll be a spice mix lots of things um, i have found that i am able to make some tweaks and they will still turn out delicious but maybe not quite as complicated as he writes. Yeah. And yeah, I think so I, it, it also helps me with my own inspiration and, and not being afraid of going outside of the recipe. The subtitle is The Abundant World of Vegan Recipes. So they are all vegan as well as vegetarian. So a lot of times he would call for cashew cream and I just sub regular cream or, so you can do tweaks like that as well. I would say, I don't know. Think of this currently as my favorite one, and it's also the most recent one I did. Posted a photo of it was the dry yard long beans, which they've been on my watch list for a while. And then I was at the farmer's market this weekend and they had them there. So I said, oh, I guess I need to get these and go home and cook with them. So I did, and they were delicious. Mine was more saucy than I think his turned out, just based on the picture. I didn't have the pickled mustard greens. So it was just the beans. So I think maybe there was fewer items to pick up the sauce, but it was a fabulous sauce. And then you finish it with peanuts at the end, or I just chop mine. He has you grate them to make a peanut dust so that it evenly as, coats everything. As one does. Yeah. But those were really delicious. And I think you could definitely use regular green beans as well um, if you can't find the yard long. So it'd be a little bit different flavor, but the sauce was fantastic. And I can't figure out like why it was so amazing. It's a soy sauce and vinegar combo with some other things going on in there, but something about the combo of the ingredients he picked just made it a taste explosion. So I really, I like that one. What was one of your favorites? I definitely loved the caramelized leek and mushroom toast. Ooh, I did not uh, see that one. That one, I think the mushrooms and the mustard play really nicely together. My kids don't love mushrooms, so unfortunately it was lost on them. But I really let those leeks caramelize and they were just melty and gorgeous. And there was just so much great flavor in this whole thing. And like you, I swat, it calls for agave and I just did a little bit of honey, you know, just making tweaks where where possible. We love mushrooms, so we've always got some assortment around. And I think I my mix-up was shiitake mushrooms and cremony. I mean, it calls for wild mushrooms. I just did the best I could. So I'm sure it'd be exceptional with what he calls for, but it was pretty darn good with shiitake and cremini or cremony. I think that's been my super favorite, but I also really loved the dill pickled fennel oh okay because that was in one of the recipes that i did and i didn't make it because i'm scared of fennel so i'm very interested to hear about yeah. it. yeah so i feel like 
his component cooking speaks and plays well with the Japanese cooking that I'm doing for my Lemon Latitude project, where you're pulling from these different components to build um, like a really balanced, flavorful meal. And the pickled thing just works for that so well. And, you know, pickling it is kind of a way of cooking it. So it loses that anise punch that you would otherwise get from raw fennel. Mm-hmm. And I also shave it like micro thin. So it really does melt in that vinegar and the dill is awesome. And I don't know, I just, I like pickled things. All right. So it's not, it's not like something that you would build an entire meal around. Obviously it's just a, like a condiment type thing, but it's the kind of condiment that elevates a, a really gorgeous bowl or I think, what does he call for them to be used with? Like one of the sandwiches? Yeah, that was in the sweet potato po' boy. Uh, and I think I just used regular pickles because, again, I was scared of them. Mm-hmm. That. There was enough other stuff going on that I didn't feel like making one more component at that point. But those were pretty delicious. You slice, thick slice the sweet potatoes and coat them in a molasses and um, blackened spice mixture and some other things and then roast them off. And he calls for using it, roasting asparagus as well. Feels a little late in the season for asparagus, although my grocery store still has it. So I use green beans instead, which I thought gave the same idea and was delicious. They're sandwiches, obviously. And you serve it with a Creole remoulade, which was pretty awesome. And then tomatoes and the pickle, fennel and lettuce. And they were great. And actually, Boy One said they were quite good, which... <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised. And I think he might have even said it without me prompting him. So So I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. And that was just... That is a win. So I like that. But if you like mushrooms, did you try the dirty cauliflower? It's on my list. Oh, it is an umami bomb. Like crazy. Yeah. So it's got dried porcinis and then cauliflower rice and then creminis and tempeh. You used tempeh, right? I did. Um, I was able to find a gluten-free one, so I used that. I haven't cooked with that in forever. I don't think even since he's become a bit. Well, maybe I did for him once. Um, I haven't done it for the family. Maybe I used it in the early days of him being a vegetarian. So, yep. And then, oh, and then you finish it with scallions. So it's kind of, you all, you kind of stir-fry it together. He said it was this play on dirty rice, but so much mushroom taste, kind of big, meaty flavor. So... I don't know if that was our favorite of all the recipes. It's very different from how we normally eat, but super filling. It made a ton. Like it said, four servings and it was plenty for all of us. Finish it with scallions and parsley. So it gives a little zip at the end to cut through all that other meaty flavor. Yeah. So that was quite good. And then I served it with a tomato salad. So that also kind of cut the umami. But that was fun. Yeah. I would recommend that one. Uh, give me all the umami. Yeah. I just, <laughs> that, that there is a lot of it in that one. So that was good. Yum. I made a couple of curry type things as well. Um, the chickpea fennel and potatoes, which were lovely. Those were one of the first things I made actually, and that kind of has a Caribbean curry flavor. And that, oh yeah. And that comes with um, a cilantro sauce that you put on top. Yeah. 
So that same idea just gives us great spark at the end. Looks beautiful. The curry sauce itself is all yellow and you've got all the soft, the roasted potatoes. Oh, and this one had fennel too. And I remember being a little worried, but going for it. And it really does mellow out when you cook. So I need to, to get over my fennel issues. Maybe embrace fennel a little. Yeah, I guess not. I guess I don't really like raw fennel, but cooking yeah. is fine. And the chickpeas too. My family does like chickpeas. So this was really good. And then that just, it looked great. And then the other one was aricovera and mushroom stew, which also had potatoes and then a coconut tomato broth. And this one he said he envisioned for cool summer nights. So you can tell he's a Bay Area person because as I've said before, my issue with all the summer, <laughs> summer recipes is that it's not a hundred degrees and humid here. It's cold and foggy. Right. So it's something that's sort of summery but also warm <laughs> yeah so yeah. curry is a great it. option yeah yeah it totally was and then with them i mean it has potatoes so that's sort of more traditional at least how i think of curries but then it had the mushrooms in there as well so you probably like this one too and then you finish it with some green beans so it's got a bright little punch and he recommended serving it with a rum-based cocktail which did not because i was out of rum but i thought it sounded fantastic well you'll have to circle back to that yeah do that one again. I do have a, a story about the uh, oven roasted zucchini. Oh, oh, that one comes with a pest, like a pesto or something, right? Yeah, it comes with a collared peanut pesto, which mm. um, I think I subbed the I subbed the peanuts for cashews, which probably took away from the flavor of it a little bit. It was still delicious. However, the real the real catastrophe is that we were given this enormous zucchini from the neighbor across the way. And, um, and I thought the only thing to do with this enormous zucchini is to oven roast it. And so like, you know, forged ahead with this recipe. Yeah, exactly. I could barely cut into this thing, which makes me think that it was not a zucchini because I, you couldn't peel it. And it was like rock hard and it was huge Monica it was <laughs> no this is probably 18 inches long it was just obscene so did they tell you it was a zucchini um I didn't accept it my husband accepted it from the neighbor and like put it on the counter and he's like hey there's a zucchini in there so I was really proud of myself for just forging ahead with this recipe because yeah. I'm pretty sure it was a non-zucchini it was more like when you I could only quarter it. It was so dense and I roasted it for 45 minutes and it barely yielded. And wow. so I let it go for like another half hour and then was able to scoop the flesh from the skin, which was still like iron. <laughs> and then I chopped it up and then roasted just the flesh in the oven to get like a little bit of brown on it. It was more like a delicata squash, but huge and green. It looked like a zucchini. Does zucchini do that when it gets to be 18 inches? I don't I know. I have no idea. I don't think so. It seems I mean, unlikely. It was, I don't know. I think it was some non-zucchini. I think you need so, to circle back to the neighbor. I'm afraid to ask. <laughs> I just feel like, I feel like the vegetable queen for pulling this thing off under the circumstances. So... Yeah. I just roasted that thing, and so it was not zucchini. It didn't even taste like zucchini. It was much more like a delicata. 
with the variation on the pesto. And I served it over rice, I think, with, I don't remember what we had with it. Because, you know, we're not vegan here. We're omnivores. So maybe a little chicken or something like that. But was it good? I'm just, it was good. <laughs> fine. And I'm really proud that I wielded my kitchen might over this vegetable like you will you will cook you will roast so that was my real coup uh from this book but we also i also really liked and it's still in the fridge the the broccoli and dill sandwich spread which is kind of like a pesto too oh yeah i saw that pesto that was good i i love broccoli and i love dill so this is a really fun way to I didn't even look to see what he puts it on. <laughs> I guess one of his sandwiches, it just caught my eye yeah. um, as something that I would put on everything. And my, yeah, it's just kind of tucked in here. It's not really with, oh, he recommends it with the uh, summer squash sandwich on multi-grain bread. I think it would just be gorgeous, like on a great piece of toast with a little Parmesan. Yeah. Which is not yeah, vegan. That's one of the things I really liked about the book is that I mean it has all these parts for the recipes, but then you can take them apart and put yeah. the, the pestos on whatever whatever vegetable you happen to have or you end up with, even if it's not zucchini. Yeah. You know, put them on sandwiches or dips or I'm up just next. So much inspiration. Yeah, totally. And there's still so many things that I want to cook. We had my father-in-law here who this this type of eating is not his comfort zone at all. And he's at a place where he needs to like eat. He needs the calories. So I'm not going to fight it with him, but I have all the ingredients for the warm beluga lentils. And I love beluga, the little tiny black lentils. I love those. Yeah. And it has a sun dried tomato base or stock, which I really want to try because talk about umami. And then every recipe of his with the charred scallions, I can't wait for. I love that flavor. And I appreciate that he calls them scallions because I grew up <laughs> calling them scallions and everyone out here calls them green onions and they're really scallions. Yeah. Right? I'll go back and forth, but I think I generally think of them as green onion. I think, I feel like I have converted just to the local vernacular, but I think they're the same thing. As far as I know. But anyway, yeah, so no, there's definitely a few that I want to do. I wanted to do the charred cauliflower and Romanesco with tahini sauce and a tremula and pomegranate seeds, which, I don't know, I love pomegranate seeds. And then um, the big beans and broccoli rob sandwich, which that one he has you make your own sandwich bread or buns, I think, which that's not going to happen, but very intriguing. Um, the sandwich looks delicious, though. That's the ones that started me on my bean odyssey. And then the scallion teff biscuits with mushroom gravy, which mm. um, I love teff. That's the Ethiopian. Super old grain. It turns out that scallions and green onions are different. Oh. More research is required. All right. Later. Later episode. But yeah, so it's like a biscuits and gravy kind of thing, which I think sounds really interesting. And I feel like since there's other grains and they're biscuits, I mean, biscuits need to rise, but I think I can maybe make it work with a uh, gluten-free bread uh, flour so yeah that one is on the list for later but yeah overall super inspiring i really like it me too solid solid book and definitely one 
I really love and appreciate the different mixes and blends and pickled things. And there's a whole section at the back that has like remoulades and the spice blends. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the different vegetables, corn, different stocks, the cashew cream. Oh yeah. And it's organized by vegetables. So there's a section for the mushroom recipes. There's a section for the squash recipes, for the winter squash, for the summer squash, for the green beans. So that's kind of fun. If you have a vegetable that you want to work with, then you can just go to that section. And I have to say most of these things in the back, these foundation recipes that really finish off each dish, scallion oil, you know, you can keep that in the fridge for a week. You know, some of them will keep for two weeks or six months. And I like that he gives you that lifeline for it, you know, so you know how long you can seal it up for, and then you can use it for the week or just have it in your back pocket. I, I totally love, remember, was it last year that that was one of my goals was to have dips and dressings and uh, just different ways to elevate a simpler recipe so that I didn't feel like I was eating the same thing every day. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's also good. I mean, that was one of my issues with vegetarian cooking is that I felt like I needed to make lots of different components. I couldn't just like roast three vegetables because that'd be boring. But if you have sauces, you're good right. to go. Totally different. Yeah. So yeah. So two thumbs up from us, I think. Two thumbs up. Really yeah. solid. Can't wait to cook more. And, you know, as we continue to work through it, we'll share new discoveries. Okay, so on the nightstand, <laughs> I have two books this time. Underachiever. <laughs> so, totally different from last time, but I read a little more intense book, so that's why I didn't get through quite as many. My main book that I spent my time reading was Stamped from the Beginning by Ibram X. Kendi, and it is the definitive history of racist ideas in America. Um, and he is an academic, so it is kind of an academic history. There's footnotes and lots of citations, but I was a history major. I love that kind of thing. So it was really, really well written. And he has that knack of writing a serious historical work, but making it read really well. Um, so it, it's like a story. So that's a bonus. So obviously a really difficult work. He organizes it around five main figures in the development of racist and anti-racist ideas in America, Cotton Mather, Thomas Jefferson, William Lloyd Garrison, W.E.B. Du Bois, and Angela Davis. He goes through the whole history of how racism and racist ideas developed in America. Um, and his thesis is that we generally get it backwards. The idea that, or most people seem to think it is that white people in America didn't understand the Africans and later the enslaved people, and they became afraid of them and developed racist ideas and then instituted policies because of that. And he says, no, it was actually the opposite, that the white power structure did these horrible things and needed to justify them. They enacted racist policies that led to racist ideas and then led to the fear and misunderstandings. Yeah, so I thought it was really well done. There was so much of American history that I didn't know or you know that we we're just not taught yeah uh, so that was really helpful and just seeing how it really has this like domino effect you know you see one thing from the 1500s in Europe is when he starts and then just 
how they had to keep perpetuating that myth about the African being a non-human in order to keep this. I mean, really, it seems like it was mostly financial, you know, like they could exploit yeah. this body to do this work. And as long as they kept people fearful of this body, then it, it served their their narrative and their machine you know it was really just this terrible machine but anyway yeah no yeah and how eventually people would fight back and there would be changes so like emancipation or the civil rights act and then they would change their game and there'd be new rules and new gatekeeping and i don't for i don't for me like there's nothing that was terribly surprising i mean i kind of expect these things but some of the actual details that I wasn't aware of were a little bit good to know, right? It kind of informed my thinking of where we are now and made me think about things in my own life differently. So I'm really glad that, that I read that. And then followed that up with something completely different. Breaking Dawn by Stephanie Meyer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Final book in the Twilight Saga, Vampires, Werewolves. Teenage girls who are desperate not to reach the age of 19 because that's one step closer to 20 and then life is over, as we all know. So, wow, that was, it's, and I only read it 10 years ago. Like, what? okay, maybe 15, whenever that series yeah. was coming out. It wasn't that long ago, but wow, things have changed. So, that's enough about that. It's crazy to think about because now that we read the, you know, if we read those books now, those characters are the age of, our like a, they're a minute older than our older sons and when we last read them we were like 10 years older than they were you know you know what i mean yep like mm, no i was I in know. my 30s when i read them in in when in your I was 30s? In my 30s when i read them so me but too there's been a lot of changes in norms i think and awareness that has been raised so, yes. Anyway. Um, but now I'm reading Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia, and I'm super excited and I'm super creeped out. I'm only about a quarter of the way through. And like when you go to visit your cousin and the hostess says, we don't talk in this house. So you're just like, you know you're in for a ride. So that's it might It might turn you off from the mushrooms for a little while. Yeah, I don't like, what's up with the mushrooms? <laughs> <laughs> I figure someone's got to be poisoned or there's some sort of, I don't know, something's going on. But then like, I, I don't know. It's, anyway. it's magical Why, which is because in of, a very creepy way. It's very, very interesting. Yeah, it's super weird. But it's, and it's almost, I was expecting it to be heavier. It's still kind of light like fluffy yeah. and creepy. So yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah. Enjoy. Yeah. What's on your nightstand? It's a crazy coincidence that you did the original version of Stamped because I did the Stamped for Youth or YA version that Racism, Anti-Racism in You, which was adapted by Jason Reynolds alongside of Ibram X. Kendi. Kendi wrote the foreword to it and Jason Reynolds, I believe, took the structure of the original book and then made it more accessible for the middle school, high school set. 
So my kids are reading this and I felt like it was important to be unified with them in their understanding of the book. And I think the part that's really going to work for them is the more, first of all, I really appreciate the history of how this myth of African humanity as an enslaved people took hold in Europe and then was, has been perpetuated for hundreds of years. And I think that that will help my kids understand some of this in a different way. But when it starts to be more pop culturally relevant for them, I think will also help them see it through a different lens. And the example of the movie Rocky being a, um, you know, a white victor who wins over the, the black athlete and that the whole, there's a whole discussion about black athleticism and how there is, there is a faction who, you know, makes the assumption because somebody is black, they're going to be a great athlete, which takes away all of the hard work that that black athlete has put into their sport and their physique and, and the work that they've done. And that was, um, that was particularly, I think will be particularly relevant with my kids. Yeah. I thought the, the more recent stuff, the recent history stuff was really helpful in terms of thinking about my own thinking, right? Like how they set up these systems and more recently, I mean, the historical stuff is valuable as well, but this really made me question things that I think about. So yeah. And, and I do like how the parallels are made between the civil rights movement and the women's movement and how they were doing a lot of things in tandem and, and the, the push and pull between those two movements, I think will be really beneficial for my kids to read along with the incredible work that they've done in terms of laying out the the systemic racism that we have in America and, and how they can be better allies and anti-racist people as they grow and, and through school and everything. So that was a funny coincidence that we both read a version of that. Um, I feel like I cheated by reading the YA version, but told my kids that it was their summer reading and it was really the, it was like the adult parent. I thought it was. (laughs) No, it was the parent book group thing that I, I'm kind of cheating and just, I think it's important for them to read and I'll do whatever it takes to get them to do the work. <laughs> Sounds like a um, plus parenting to me. Thank you. I also read The Beauty and Breaking, which is a memoir by Michelle Harper. And Michelle Harper is an emergency room doc in like Philadelphia and New York and she's African American and she chronicles basically her residency and then the first 10 years of her medical practicing in these different hospital scenarios and she's it is woven with her personal story and I appreciate that and I think her writing is you know she's really working to discover something about herself in in writing this book and I was particularly compelled by her observations of racism in the medical profession. And it's not just discrimination, but it is, there is evidence of systemic racism in 
hospitals and medical scenarios and obviously with law enforcement because she would ha- she had a patient come in who was brought in by the police and they were they wanted her to do all of these tests on him because they thought he had swallowed or ingested a quantity of illegal drugs he was african american and she asked him do you want me to do these tests and he was scared and said no and she knew the law that she couldn't make him do these tests. And she just explained to him really calmly, like, listen, if you have ingested something, it's really dangerous and explained it to him in a way that respected his humanity. She had encounter after encounter like that, either with law enforcement or people making assumptions. She had a a younger resident question her judgment and that, you know, they brought in the ethicist and the ethicist agreed with her. There was just a a couple of scenarios like that, that really stuck with me. I think it's yet another institution that has to do some soul searching about how they deal with all different patients. You know, there's, we all have so much work to do. It was, it was a really eye-opening memoir and I'm glad that I read it. And it was, it was very interesting. And then I read the 57 bus, which is another young adult book based on a true story. That's Boy One's summer reading. Oh yeah, have you read it? Not yet, and neither has he, so (laughs) we're getting there. We haven't the book. Yeah, I I found that it was a pretty fast read. So this is written by Dashka Slater, and this is based on an event that took place in real life here in Oakland, I think in 2013 where a black youth set fire to the garment of an agendered youth on a public bus. And the whole thing was captured on video. So the book is really wonderful because it weaves together the story of the agendered youth. And this youth I don't even know that. Well, I guess it is important to the story. So they talk a lot about pronoun usage. I really had, I have struggled with this before, just on a grammatic level. It's hard for me to shift and use a plural gendered or a plural non-gendered pronoun for an individual. And I wish that there was an alternative in our language that didn't feel so grammatically awkward for me. And that's selfish of me because I should just roll with it. And that's basically what this book discusses in the early beginnings is how just get used to they, their pronoun for somebody who does not use he, him, or she, her. So there's a great discussion about that and how they were working on their gender identity at I don't know if it was a charter school. I don't think that they were at um, a public school. I think it was a charter school in Oakland. Basically a community that's really accepting of this kind of gender fluidity, right? And then the African-American boy is a student at Oakland High School. And He's had some challenges in his life, but he has a really supportive mother. He is a um, 
sympathetic character, not just character, but when you hear his whole side of the story and the racism that he's experienced and the discrimination that he's endured, you just have like a more balanced portrait of these two. And it is a horrific crime that he set fire to Bay's skirt on the bus, you know, and he acknowledges from the beginning that he did something totally wrong and takes like full responsibility for it but they and their family don't realize it until like nine months later, like after all of the criminal stuff has, has sort of taken its course. The, the prosecutor has decided to charge the boy, the black boy, uh, as, a, as an adult. He's like 15. He's been in and out of the system a little bit, I think, at that point because he was scared and made a comment about how he didn't, he was homophobic or something, which he didn't even really know what that meant when the police were questioning him. Like a lot of this is so nuanced and so complicated. I'm going into way too much detail because it's so heartrending. So anyway, I highly recommend this book. It's about so many relevant issues that are going on, the gender fluidity stuff, LGBT, TQ plus rights, racism and anti-racism and how the system was just not equipped to deal with this in a great way and how the schools responded to it. And, but at the heart of it are two individuals who were profoundly impacted by this event. And I think it's an awesome read for teens. Cool. One of our great listeners, Stephanie Eddy, lent me a few books, and I finished one of them, and it was, talk about a change of pace from what I've been reading. I read The Guest List by Lucy Foley. And oh, this I just is, saw that somewhere. What a romp. It reminds me of the Agatha Christie, and then there were one, and then there was one. Mm. Uh-huh. It takes place in this Irish island off the coast of Ireland, and there's a wedding, and it's all these fancy people, and everybody's got a secret, and the connections are, oh my gosh, they just, it's just part whodunit, part psychological thriller. It was a really fast, satisfying read. And I'm so glad that she lent it my way. Cool. I, I don't think I've read anything else by uh, Lucy Foley. Yeah, it was an easy, fun, fast, kind of salacious, surprising read. It was good. Very nice. I also borrowed a book about tea, but that's a little slower going because it's, you know, I stop every paragraph and look up some obscure tea thing and... <laughs> but I love it. Cool. So right. bingo? Bingo. We started Friday, May 22nd, and it runs through September 7th, which is Labor Day here in the U.S. The only thing we need is a photo of your completed bingo card. Um, if you're doing it on Instagram with the hashtag CCRR Summer Bingo 2020, or you can post it in the RAV group if you're able to. Um, and we just need one completed row, column, diagonal, Go for a blackout if you want. Feel free. Um, we do love to see pictures with the hashtag as well, what you're up to. 
Tamara on Instagram is close to a bingo. She posted that recently. So I'd like to see that. And she has some interesting books marked on there that she'd been reading. So I got to check oh, those. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. I have two that I managed this time. One, I guess, technically should have happened last time, but I just realized it. The center square is now marked off on mine for my um, vacation reading in Party of Two. They go to Hawaii for vacation. So that counts. <laughs> I was very jealous of them. Sounded lovely. Um, and then also three recipes from the same book, which would be The Vegetable Kingdom, obviously. Been planning on that one for a while, so it was nice to finally check that one off. How about you? I have a few. I did the pop something you made into the mail twofer. I mailed that quilt, which I posted a photo of on our grid, my, the quilt off to my friend Kelly. And I hand painted a graduation card and it was, it came out so good. And I hand painted it, that envelope too, and sent it off in the mail. Wow. And then I have a cook three recipes from the same cookbook twofer because I have the Bryant Terry vegetable kingdom. And I also have been cooking, I think everything from the uh, Japanese kitchen by Atsuko Ikeda. And then I have the cook with the farmer's market plums, which was my two sour plum crisp. And I think that's it. Just those three. That's pretty good. I mean, we are getting getting along in the bingo season, so there are fewer squares to choose from. That's true. So, and then I had an idea from my tortilla flat beans. We should do cook a recipe from based on a a recipe in a fiction book, or I guess, yeah, fiction book. That's a great idea. Yeah. So that's for next year. Make a note. <laughs> so similar Wait. to the the Disney restaurant one, like okay. something you know, food that is mentioned in a fiction book. Make a recipe based on that. Inspired Can by. You. Yeah. So, so I'm, yes, tem I'm tempted to right? take the square, the try a new medium or technique by how I painted over the giant mistake in my Japanese art supply painting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I may, I may do that. Can hold on to that. Yeah. Pencil, check it off, and then you can official if you need to. If need I need it. it. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So we're like at a month to go for that. So yeah. I still um, have several to do. Plenty of time. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Luckily, still got nothing going on. So should be <laughs> no problem. <laughs> okay. Well, Thanks. thank you to everyone who is playing along. And um, I know that I sent a an email version of it to my Aunt Margot. And so I'm really hoping that she somehow is able to pull off a bingo streak in between taking care of all the grandbabies. Fingers you crossed. got anything else? No. So okay. until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks everyone. Bye. I did. It was like when I used to have the yarn, like the indie yarn dyers would go and you'd have to like be ready and hit the updates and you get your skein of yarn, you're so excited. And it was like, like that, but except I didn't realize it until after. I was <laughs> like, whoa, I got both of them. And I felt a little, little guilty because I'm new to the whole thing. So.
Yeah. Whatever. Jeez. <laughs> you know, they sell it's done to me. I'm like, oh my God, I'm the beans. That's it's so funny. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.